0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that as we think now about Christ and the call that he makes on our lives, that you would do a deep work in us by your spirit to help us to see more of Christ and to be ready to live for him. And we pray this in his name. Amen. My family moved from the US to the UK when I was six, and there was a bit of a culture shock. We discovered that British people drive on the wrong side of the road, that British people think sarcasm is funny. Uh, They spend Lots of money to go and watch two teams battle out a nil-nil draw and they think it's entertaining. British people talk about the weather a lot. They drink tea a lot. And, uh, and for a while, we thought that they put lard on their toast. Uh, but that's a, a different story. A clash of cultures. And if we've ever been abroad on holiday, I'm sure that we'll have, have experienced Uh, the shock of of new sights and and sounds and smells. Our reading tonight from Philippians is all about a clash of cultures, but on a completely different scale. Philippi was a Roman colony, and to be a Roman citizen was a big deal back in Paul's day. It it carried lots of privileges, and, and it came with certain values and responsibilities. But then along came Paul, preaching that Jesus Christ is Lord. And when some believed his message, something remarkable happened. They moved from being citizens of Rome to being citizens of heaven. Have a look at Philippians 1 verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. We saw last week how Paul himself writes from prison, uncertain whether his trial would result in in release or death. But whatever happens to him, the Philippians have a life to live. Or more precisely, they have a citizenship to fulfill. It's not clear in our English version, but if you have the verse up on the screen, I've underlined two words, Verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves. Those two words, conduct yourselves, translate this word for citizenship. This, this word is a, is a loaded word in Paul's day. It, it speaks into this idea of being a citizen of Rome with all that came with that word. And so I think actually a better translation for us would be this. Whatever happens, be citizens in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Do we realize this? Our allegiance is no longer to Rome or or Sheffield or, or England or anywhere else in the world. We have a new king. His name is Jesus. We have a new home and it's called heaven. And Paul underlines this point later on in his letter. Just keep a finger in Philippians 1, and flick forward to the end of chapter 3. Philippians 3, verse 20. And Paul writes, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await our saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not long after my family moved, we became British citizens. I've got a British passport now, but it took much longer for our behavior to change. You'll be glad to know that after 35 years, I can sarcastically complain about the weather whilst drinking tea and watching football along with the best of you. But it took time. And Paul's desire is to help these Philippians and us to increasingly act like citizens of heaven. Verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 27 introduces the section and 3.20 rounds it off and in between. Paul is showing us how citizens of heaven should live. And straight away it's a life we are called to live together. Verse 27 of chapter one again. Whatever happens, be citizens in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. I wonder if you've ever done one of those tug-of-war competitions. You've got two teams with, with a big rope in between, and the goal is to pull the other one over. I have this image of a mind of eight, ten people in one team all standing together, or pulling together, working together, standing firm against anything that comes at them. Well, citizens of heaven are to stand firm together and... Paul goes on to show us why. There are two threats coming at us that can so easily knock us over if we don't stand firm together. The first threat, this is our first point, the threat of suffering. When we moved to the UK, we received a warm welcome. Uh, By and large, Americans and Brits get on okay, but, but not so when it comes to the citizens of earth and heaven. Citizens of heaven, We have a different king. We we march to a different tune. We have a different hope and a different home. And so as we stand firm together, verse 28, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And this opposition may well be formidable. Verse 29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, But also to suffer for him, since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. We know Paul is in prison. His life is on the line. And the warning here is clear. Just as Jesus himself suffered at the hands of a hostile world, so too his apostle Paul. Well, also citizens of heaven should expect to share in the same suffering. There are lots of reasons why we can suffer in this broken world. Uh, Sickness, sorrows, loss, confusion. And the Bible has much to say to comfort us in our suffering. But the particular suffering that Paul is zooming in on here is the suffering that comes from being followers of Christ. The opposition comes as we strive for the faith of the gospel. Or in verse 29, this suffering is a suffering for Christ and we are increasingly feeling it, aren't we? As our country abandons its Christian heritage, we increasingly feel the gulf, the gap between the citizens of of earth and the citizens of heaven. Our culture tells us to be true to ourselves, to be who we want to be, to back ourselves and our feelings But Paul says in Philippians 3 that all his efforts apart from Christ are like rubbish. That his standing before God can only come through the righteousness of Christ given to him as a free gift through faith. The gospel is not for good people, but for people who know that they are not good. Tonight, as we gather as a church, we don't gather to be a museum for saints, but rather a hospital for sinners. To preach sin and the need for a saviour, it puts us in direct opposition to the citizens of earth. Later on this term, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7. We'll be thinking about what God has to say about our bodies and our sex lives and our relationships. And what God says is for our good. He's our maker. He knows what's best for us. And it's not as if we always talk about these matters here at Forward. It's been some five years since we had a similar series. But these are important matters that we need to engage with, not least because the world around us is changing at a tremendous rate. And what our culture now says about our identity and our bodies and marriage is in direct opposition so often to what God says in his word. To stand firm will mean opposition, perhaps for us personally, uh, perhaps for us as a church family. Who knows, if people hear about this One Corinthians series, there may well be strong pushback uh, on social media, maybe even in person. And that is why it's so important that we stand firm together. When I was at university, one of the biggest films that came out was Gladiator. I realize that if you're under 40, you'll have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, just bear with me for, for one moment. There's that brilliant scene where the character played by Russell Crowe, a, a gladiator, is in the center of the arena with a few other gladiators. They are about to face some terrible enemy that's going to come out of the gates. They don't know what it's going to be. And you can tell that they're, 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 they're terrified. And then Russell Crowe speaks up. I won't try to do his accent. He says, anyone here been in the army? Only one person says yes. Undeterred by the lack of experience, Crowe continues, whatever comes out of these gates, we have a better chance of survival if we work together. Do you understand? If we stay together, we survive. And sure enough, the gates swing open and mighty chariots come rumbling out, an overwhelming force. But as the fight begins, the gladiators come together, they stand firm, they form a wall of shields, and chariot after chariot is picked off until a mighty victory is won. If we stay together, we survive. That's very much the sense here in Philippians 1. It's tough being the only Christian in our class or in our office or in our family. Very easy to be discouraged on our own. We need other Christians to keep reminding us that our home is not in this world, but in the world to come. That our king is not this culture, but the Lord Jesus. Are we prepared to stand firm together. Perhaps that will mean committing to coming week after week on Sundays to be built up in our faith in Christ together or uh, committing to good Christian friendships perhaps in our small groups or or prayer triplets or the, the people we serve with. Uh, this month of prayer in January has been such a joy because it's brought us together. I'm very much looking forward Forward to this week ahead. If you haven't been, I, I' completely recommend it. Of course, the other thing about suffering is that it can splinter unity. We see this with football teams. When they're winning and everyone is doing well, it's all smiles and hugs and selfies within the team. But when the team starts losing, And the media becomes critical and the fans start complaining. Then the cracks appear. A player begins to blame the manager. The manager begins to blame the players. And then stories emerge of fights breaking out on the training pitch. And when a church experiences opposition, something similar can happen. But did you notice? If and when suffering for the sake of Christ comes to a church... It is not a sign that things are going wrong. It's not a sign of of God abandoning his people. Quite the opposite. Look at verse 28. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. You see, when Christians stand firm together despite opposition, it's actually a sign that God is with them not against them, a sign that in the end, when Christ returns, it'll be a day of salvation for his people. Oh, it may be that the watching world don't understand the sign, but it is a sign nonetheless. But then more than that, verse 29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to, To suffer for him. Did you know that not only is our faith in Christ a gift, but so also our suffering for him? The word for granted in verse 29 is the same word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians to describe the gifts God gives his body. And so after all that Christ has done for us in suffering for us in the most remarkable way, in some small way, we have the privilege, the gift of suffering for him as well. I don't want to downplay or to glamorize suffering. But it really helps to know that if suffering does come, God has not lost control. God has not abandoned us. No, he is still at work and he will sustain us until the day of salvation. Which is a great help as we seek to stand together. You see, the forecast is for suffering. And so as God's people, as citizens of heaven, we need to stand together. But there is a second reason, a second threat that means we we do need to stand together. Here's our second point, the threat of selfishness. It is true, you see, that opposition can come from outside the church. But sadly, it is also true that threats to our unity can come from within as well. Paul's desire for the Philippians is clear in chapter 2, verse 2. He writes, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. This is how citizens of heaven are to live together. But there's a threat, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others Above yourselves. Oh, it's not hard, is it, to imagine how selfishness destroys unity. Imagine a family holiday. I don't know what your family's like or how big it is, but imagine you've got lots of aunts and uncles and nephews and nieces. Let's say 25 people all getting together for one week under one roof. I can almost guarantee you that at some point there's going to be a disagreement. That many people can't simply uh, agree about everything all the time. The toddlers will be up at the crack of dawn. The teenagers will be lying in bed for hours to come. So when do you have breakfast? Some people want to go for a 20-mile walk. Uh, Other people quite fancy a puzzle. Some people love a good group game. Others want to read a book on their own. Does that sound familiar? You see, a family unity cannot rest on everyone agreeing. No, families will disagree. No, the key to unity is what happens when the disagreement comes. And you see, selfishness can tear a family apart. You can take even the smallest decision about when to have breakfast and add in a healthy dose of selfishness and self-centeredness and a small issue can become a major fight. Isn't that true? But if everyone's desire is to do what is best for the other out of a heart of humble service, then yes, decisions still have to be made, but all the heat is gone. And what is true for families also true for church families. I wonder if we've ever thought about it this way. When we're talking to another Christian and we find that we disagree with them about something, have we ever found that feeling welling up within us? Some sense of frustration or or anger or impatience? Do we realize that so often what that feeling is? Well, It's selfishness. C.S. Lewis once put it like this. There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people ever imagine that they are guilty of themselves. The vice I am talking of is pride. Back in Philippians 1, we saw how Paul called out the selfish ambition of some who are preaching Christ from false motives. That's 1 verse 17. You can imagine the Philippians, as they read about this, agreeing with Paul. Oh, that's terrible. But here, now in Philippians 2, Paul turns the mirror around on them. They have the same problem. Selfish ambition vain conceit, alive and well. And so when even a small issue comes up, the strength of the coffee or the colour of the carpets stir in a healthy dose of selfish, ambition or vain conceit. And those small issues can cause great division. Of course, as churches, we can face Big issues as well as small ones. Uh, Sometimes another person might be acting in wrong ways or have wrong views that need to be addressed or, or challenged. There are times when we simply cannot agree to disagree. But this warning still applies about the danger of selfishness for all involved. And so whatever the issue, big or small, citizens of heaven are called to act with humility with the interests of others before our own. You see, every culture is shaped by someone or something. Back in Paul's day, the Caesar in Rome would have had a key influence on the shape of what it meant to be a Roman citizen. Nowadays, it's much more likely to be someone on Instagram. Did you know who the most followed person on Instagram was last year, it was Cristiano Ronaldo, he had 596 million followers, what about the most followed woman, Kylie Jenner, 378 million followers, the most followed musician, Selena Gomez, 371 million, you see uh, the numbers are staggering, Our culture today is being bombarded and influenced and shaped by all kinds of images and posts of the influencers in our world around us. And did you know that citizens of heaven, we also have an influencer who shapes and models our value and his name is Jesus we see how it works. Verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, or verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You see, Jesus is the great influencer. Of the citizens of heaven. next week. We'll have a proper look at these verses. But we know it's coming. Don't we? The most extraordinary example. Of humble service. The king of heaven. God himself took on flesh. And died on the cross for us. To meet our great need. He is the ultimate influencer. And as we look at him. He will shape. And mould our culture as citizens of heaven. He is our great example. And this is the mindset we are called to. Our being like-minded in Philippians or being of one mind, as Paul says twice in verse two, it is not so much about agreeing on the coffee strength or the color of the carpets, but it's first and foremost an attitude where we all agree together that we are called to humble service, to look after the needs of others before our own. And when we all have that mindset together, well, it brings unity. Uh, Just a word of caution. This is not unity at any cost. This is unity about Christ and around him. You see, at the end of chapter one, it was a unity in standing firm for the sake, for the faith of the gospel. Here in chapter two, it's a A unity that flows from a mindset shaped and formed by looking at Jesus and his death on the cross. And there are some people that Paul won't unite with. In chapter 3, he's going to warn the Philippians about false teachers. His language is very strong. He calls them dogs. He warns the Philippians to be wary of them. Because they are not holding to the teaching of Christ. And so this unity that Paul calls us to. This like-mindedness. It's not a unity at any cost. But rather a unity centered on Christ. And so as we finish. Last week we thought about the verse that we have for the year. Philippians 1.21, Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. We were thinking about that idea of a, of a person stepping off a riverbank onto the boat, having to make that decision about whether they would go with both feet, putting all their weight on the boat. And for us as Christians, as we think about this call to live for Christ, are we willing to step off the bank with both feet onto Christ to really go for it, to live for him in every area of life. Well, tonight, we're beginning to see what a life lived for Christ would look like. It means standing firm together as citizens of heaven against suffering and against selfishness all for the sake of Christ, our great Saviour and the great King of heaven. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus, the one who has given us the most remarkable example of humble service. And we pray that you would do a deep work in us, That as citizens of heaven, you'd help us to stand firm together, confident in the gospel, come what may, even in the face of suffering, bound together in Christ, shaped by him, willing to serve each other. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.